Well, please remain standing and turn with me in a copy of the scriptures to Luke, I'm sorry, to 1 Genesis chapter 3, our main passage will be in Luke. First, we're going to read the final verse of Genesis 3, Genesis 3, 24. If you're able to put a finger in Luke chapter 2, we'll be turning there uh, immediately afterwards. Beloved saints, this is God's word that he has given to us to hear this morning that we might know him better. Let us give our attention to the reading of it. Genesis 3.24 He, that is God, drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 2. We're going to read the first 20 verses. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Again, this is God's word. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. It, this was the first registration when Quirinius, the governor, uh, was governor of Syria, and when all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddly cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the flock, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angel went away from them, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that they had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told to them. Let us pray. Our gracious God, you know our hearts, you know our minds, and how we struggle to believe your words of comfort. You know how we are quicker to believe the enemy's lies than to believe your truth. If we're honest, 
your grace sometimes sounds too good, too good to be true, foreign to our selfishness and beyond the realm of plausible. And so we ask that you would help us to not judge as if we were the standard, that you would help us to judge our doubts according to your words, that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, and open our minds to just how high and inexhaustible your grace truly is. Do this as we open your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I think I've mentioned this before. Uh, when I was in college, there was a fad of these 3D pictures uh, that everybody was uh, into and looking at. And most of them, just when you first looked at them, just kind of looked like sand or, or rocks or maybe just lines. But if you stared at them long enough, and I think the trick was letting your eyes kind of cross, uh, suddenly this three-dimensional image would pop out. It was like a dolphin or people or, or something. And they were fun, and they were wildly popular for a while. I think they were a good reminder that things aren't always what they appear at first glance. And sometimes a second uh, and deeper look is necessary to see what's really there. If you're not careful, you might not recognize what's sitting right in front of you if you don't take a good, hard, long look. And I think that's the case with our passage uh, this morning. The way that Jesus came into the world uh, is so spectacular that, and, and attention-grabbing that sometimes it's very easy to miss who he is that came into the world. But if we slow down, if we take a deeper look, if we take our time, we'll see something glorious in what is said about him when he comes. And that's also true with this, this well-known angelic announcement, peace on earth, that we find in our passage. Uh, every uh, Christmas, this statement gets quoted. It's on half the Christmas cards out there. It's one of the best-known, most-loved statements in the scripture. And yet, I fear that if we're not careful we will absolutely miss the stunning nature of the fact that this announcement comes on the lips of angels and what that signifies to us. And so today, as we look at this very familiar passage of Scripture, my prayer is that the Lord would allow us to see just how truly multidimensional it is, how deep and profound and how beautiful it is, that he might give us eyes to recognize our Savior in all of his glory as he is revealed within this passage. And as we do, uh, there's really uh, something I just want to drive home, one idea, and it's this. The Lord of heaven came into this world in the most humble of ways because it was the only way to make peace between heaven and earth. The Lord of heaven came into this world in the most humble of ways because that was the only way to make peace between heaven and earth. And that's what we want to see uh, this morning. And to do that, I'd like to start by looking at two lords, two leaders, two rulers, Caesar Augustus and Jesus Christ. 
Uh, and then I'd like to look at the humble details surrounding Jesus' birth, the, the census, uh, the announcement to the shepherds, and his being laid in a manger. I want to look at those details and see what they drive home. And then finally, uh, as we conclude in a little while, I'd like us to look at the response of the angels uh, and even the cattle and ask how God calls us to respond to this wonderful news. Because that's really what's important. Not just what we hear, but how we respond to it. And so that's really our our plan this morning. Uh, We're told that Caesar Augustus ordered a census. Uh, The nephew of Julius Caesar, uh, Augustus, was the adopted uh, uh, son of his uncle so that he could succeed Julius Caesar as emperor of Rome. Uh, Augustus was known for his uh, military might. He was known for his cunning. Uh, He is credited with the begin of the Pax Romana, the 200 years of peace and tranquility in the Roman Empire. And he, is, uh, he has ordered that a census be taken of the entire realm, everyone under Roman rule, which is quite vast at this time. Now, the reason for the census isn't given. It could be something as simple as to assess uh, who should be serving in the Roman army or, or what kind of taxes were owed by whom. Or it could be something more, a little more prideful like it was with David. Remember that passage in 2 Samuel 24 where David ordered a census really just to glory in how big his kingdom was. Nebuchadnezzar did something similar. Uh, and pride is certainly no stranger to the Roman Empire. And so it would not be shocking if this was really just an exercise in vanity by Caesar Augustus. They were a prideful lot, the Caesars. They required the citizens of Rome to say, Caesar Curios, Caesar is Lord. But God's people confess that God alone is Lord. In fact, they would often substitute that, that title of Lord for the name he gave to Moses at the burning bush, Yahweh or I Am. And that language of substituting that that title of Lord is carried on by the New Testament authors. They will often quote Old Testament passages, but instead of saying I am or Yahweh, they'll say the Lord did this. Uh, And so, whereas the Old Testament will often refer to the angel of Yahweh, look at chapter 9, verse 9 in our passage. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. Or verse 15, look, look it says uh, what the shepherds say, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that happened, which the Lord has made known to us. You notice they're not referring to Caesar Augustus, they're referring to the God of Israel. Because for God's people, there is one Lord, there is one sovereign, there is one ruler over all, and it's not Caesar It's their God. In fact, this is driven home in our passage because centuries earlier through the prophet Micah, God said that that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And so if, if God is going to keep his word, 
this, this birth of the Messiah has to take place in Bethlehem. And so to accomplish that, having chosen Mary to be his, his instrument of this birth, God has to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. And what does he do to accomplish that? He stirs the heart of the most powerful ruler in the world to decree a census, thereby forcing Joseph and Mary to go back to Bethlehem. <laughs> Who really is in charge here when he, can, when he can stir up the heart of the most powerful man in the world and accomplish his will? This title of the Lord will be a favorite of Luke as his narrative unfolds. We're going to hear it over and over again. But there's one more use of this title in verse 11. The angel declares to the shepherds, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's huge. Jesus, this this baby born in Bethlehem, is greater than Caesar Augustus. He is the Lord. He is the ruler of the universe. But more than that, more than just being in charge, what Luke is saying, or, or, or what God is saying through Luke for us, is that this baby is the God of Israel. You can't miss it. Verse 9, the angel of the Lord. Verse 15, the Lord has made this known. Verse 11, Christ the Lord. Jesus is the God of Israel. He is the ruler of heaven and earth. And yet, this Lord, this ruler of heaven and earth, will be counted in the census. Think about the profundity of that. Joseph and Mary have have come to Bethlehem to be counted. As they arrive, Jesus is born. That means when they finally do get counted, Jesus will be numbered in that census. The God who created man in his own image is willing to take his place among man. He's willing to be counted among men, numbered among men, to be treated as a commoner, to rub shoulders with the lowly, something Caesar Augustus would never have done. Yes, Jesus is the King of Heaven. Yes, He is the eternal God. But He is willing to be counted among men. He became human. And this great news is first announced to shepherds. Now, we don't know many shepherds in our modern context. For most of us, our exposure to shepherds is through the scriptures. And for that, for that reason, it can be hard for us to, to truly understand how shocking this is. Shepherds spent their days with animals. They were dirty, and they smelled like animals. They were considered hired hands, and in society, they were the nobodies. 
And yet it is to them that the angel came to announce the news of Jesus' birth. And I think there's two reasons for this. First, it's, it's to identify with the lowly, that, that, that God doesn't send his messengers to the kings, uh, uh, but to the lowly. Think about what we saw last week and how this continues that idea. Who did, who did God go to last week? A, a virgin, an old woman, an infant. These are the ones to whom God reveals himself. Not to kings and rulers, not to the rich and influential He makes his good news known to lowly shepherds. But I think there's a second reason as well. God has regularly used that image of a shepherd to help us understand his heart. Before David was king, he was a shepherd. God said that David's heart as a shepherd reflected God's own heart. God went to shepherds because they were a wonderful reminder of our God's heart. How he cares and he nurtures and he tends. How he identifies with the lowly. This is what Jesus has come to do. To care for the afflicted. To to care and shepherd his people. There could be no more fitting group to hear of his arrival than shepherds. But perhaps the humble circumstances of his arrival are most clearly seen in the location. And I don't just simply mean Bethlehem because as they pulled into Bethlehem that evening, there was no room at the inn. And you can imagine the scene. Exhausted from travel, Nine months pregnant, simply longing for a bed. And yet there was none. Because of the census, they're already filled, they're too late. There there isn't one empty room in Bethlehem. And that idea of being without a bed at birth is an image from the prophets of absolute humiliation. Ezekiel says this, As for your birth, talking to Israel, you were cast out on the open field for you were abhorred on the day you were born. Cast into an open field, cursed by God. Is it possible Mary and Joseph had that passage running through their heads that day? as they were cast out with no bed in which for this child to be born. Instead, having him born among the wild animals as if in an open field. Left with no bed, Mary simply wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Such a simple description. And of course, it could just be describing the situation Not wanting to leave him naked, she wrapped him in some spare cloths. Not seeing a crib, she laid him in a feed trough where no humid would ever be laid before or since. But think about how Luke describes Jesus at his death. 
chapter 23, he says this. Then they took him down and wrapped, sorry, they took his body down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever been laid. Wrapped and laid. The description bears so many echoes to his birth. And it's not an accident. Luke is trying to say, dressed in birth as he will be in death. Laid in birth as he will be in death. His death overshadows his birth. His suffering doesn't wait to enter the picture. It's as if he begins to bear the cross the night he's born. And it underscores his mission. The Lord of heaven has come to die because that is the cost of rescuing his people. He's come to bear their shame. He's come to suffer their curse in their place. And for those who have eyes to see, all of this is made visible in the circumstances of his birth. And yet, as as humble, as, as foreshadowing of the cross as all of that is, his birth is met with angelic jubilation. And that's even more striking in light of what Peter says about angels in his first epistle. Listen, listen to Peter's words. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, things into which angels long to look. For years, uh, centuries, millennia, there had been this prophetic announcement and anticipation of the coming Redeemer, the Messiah, who would come and save God's people. We've seen some of these prophecies as we've looked at Luke. He would be preceded by one who would come in the spirit and power of Elijah. He would be a descendant of King David. He would be born to a virgin. He would be born in Bethlehem. For years, those who wrote these prophecies wanted to know when they would be fulfilled and by whom. Obviously, they knew it would be the Lord of heaven, but what human form would he take? What would his human identity be? There was eager anticipation surrounding these prophecies. And according to to Peter, it's not just the prophets who were eager to find out. It was the angels themselves. For thousands of years, the angels have been awaiting this day. They've eagerly longed to watch it happen. But I don't think it's simply because they wanted to know how the prophecies would be fulfilled. There's more to it. Since the day Adam and Eve sinned, angels have been tasked with guarding the way into God's presence. Adam and Eve's sin brought war 
between them and God, between heaven and earth. And sinful man was no longer welcomed into God's presence. And so the angel was given the flaming sword to protect entrance into God's presence. The imagery of the tabernacle uh, reflects that, how how the Holy of Holies is, is surrounded by fiery angels. And the message is, no one will pass until peace is made. They have been ministers of death since that day, and that is a ministry no one wants. And so they've longed for peace to be restored. They've longed for the promised one to come and fulfill the prophecies in order to make peace. They've longed to lay down their swords and instead take a festive uh, posture towards those who seek the Lord. And so their patience is now being rewarded as the Lord sends them to attend to Jesus' birth. And as they do, they announce what it means. Peace. No longer is God angry. No longer is he at war. Because the peacemaker, the savior, the Messiah has come. Peace on earth. And that's not all it says. It says peace on earth with whom he is well pleased. Because it's not enough that Jesus came. Not all will be saved. Something more is needed. Salvation only belongs to those who recognize him for what he is and put their trust in him. These are the ones with whom the Father is pleased. And yet there are many who who did not recognize him for who he is. They, They looked at him and they saw only a poor carpenter. They saw a revolutionary, a a disturber of the peace, ironically. They saw him as a threat to their positions of power, or they felt like he was a spotlight on their sin, greed, and selfishness. They looked at him and they saw an inconvenience, a thorn in their flesh. They did not see the Lord. They did not see the Messiah. They did not see a Savior, a Redeemer. There's one more interesting passage from the Old Testament that I think helps us understand our our passage today. Did you notice how many times Luke uses the word manger in his account of Jesus' birth? Three times. Verses 7, 12, and 16. It says, if Luke is, is kind of subtly saying, don't forget the manger. But Why? Listen to what Isaiah says. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey the manger of his Lord. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. The ox and the donkey, they get it, but my people don't. They recognize the Lord in the manger. But my people are blind. That's a rebuke. If I could paraphrase, God's saying, my people are more dim-witted than beasts of burden when it comes to spiritual matters. 
If only they had beastly recognition, the recognition of beasts, they'd, they'd have peace with me. But of course, this isn't written so that we can pass judgment on, on God's people of old, call them dim-witted and things like that, because this is written to press that question home to you. In the manger, do you recognize the Lord of heaven and earth? And recognizing him, do you surrender all to him? Do you see in him your only hope? Do you know his peace? That's the point of this passage. The Lord of heaven came into this world in the most humble of ways because that was the only way to make peace between heaven and earth. And the question is, do you embrace him? Do you recognize and know your Lord? Do you, like Mary, treasure up these things and ponder them in your heart? All of this happened in a little town called Bethlehem, a town with its own storied past. You might remember in the book of Ruth that Bethlehem had become devoured by famine. And that's meant to be ironic because the, the, the name Bethlehem literally means the house of bread. <laughs> Famine and the house of bread. It's the one place where no one's supposed to go hungry. And yet, it's here that Jesus comes into the world. Later on, Jesus would declare himself to be the bread of heaven. <laughs> the bread of heaven born in the house of bread. Because he's the one who gives eternal life to all who come to him. That reality is made visible for us this morning in the Lord's Supper. In the bread and the wine, we have a picture of the Lord of heaven entering into this world in order to die. The elements are reminders of everything the angels anticipated. Everything the shepherds heard and everything the oxen and donkeys were able to recognize that God has made peace between heaven and earth through Jesus Christ. All of this has been made a reality in this one born in the city of David, a Savior, Christ the Lord. Please bow with me in prayer. Our gracious Savior, we, we marvel that the King of Heaven, the Lord of Glory, would come to earth, be born of a virgin, and be laid in a manger, all so that we might have peace. These things are too marvelous for words, things angels for millennia long to see fulfilled. And now they've come to pass in Jesus, and we praise you. We treasure these things in our hearts. Teach us to recognize Jesus more and more. Teach us to lean wholly upon him. And most of all, teach us to rest in him, to delight in him, to take comfort and refuge in him, we pray. Amen.